Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so today is a little interesting. Um, a good friend of mine, um, a very good friend of mine, somebody that I look up to a lot, has decided to join me on the podcast for today. And so uh, we, you know what's a good podcast when you talk to somebody and the first words out of their mouth were, I feel like I was just getting started. Like there was so much more I wanted to talk about. So I'll talk about that in a second. Um, for right now, I just want to give some context as to where we are. We're about three weeks out from the presidential election. Um, we are... Things are just angry right now, uh, really angry um, all the time and about everything. Um, right now, there's this very weird uh, hatred of uh, Chris Pratt on Twitter. Um, he's the worst Hollywood tw uh, Chris, is I think, the way that it went. And there, I mean, his co-star stuck up for him, which uh, I, I thought was good and appropriate. But the basic reason is because he doesn't get super political. Um, and because he holds himself to Christian values and, and some other stuff. Um, and Twitter has gone crazy over it. Um, Twitter has said that he's, um, I, I think the worst one that I saw was, and I didn't look very hard for very long, um, was, I hope Chris Pratt had a terrible week. He deserved every bit of it. And a lot of these people aren't even explaining why. It's, it's almost just like a need to hate people, like to have somebody in contempt. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very odd time. And I don't think that's good. And I appreciated that his co-stars kind of said, look, leave him alone. He's a good guy. Like, he's a good guy. Um, and I think, anyway, that's, that's one thing that happened. Another thing that I'm, I'm going to reference obliquely because I want to be careful of young ears that might be listening um, is that somebody got in trouble for some, doing something that they shouldn't. And I can't tell which is worse, the fact that he did something that was wrong and bad um, or the Twitter mobs that are trying to um, string him up by his toes and, uh, and, and like, it, it'll come up when we, when we talk, when I talk with my buddy Jason, but, um, it just feels like there's something wrong with the Twitter mob too. Um, if I can say it that way. Anyway, let me tell you about today's, uh, podcast. So, um, for a while I've been writing a little, um, a little piece, um, that I had initially called a conservative challenge. Uh, a challenge to my religious conservative friends. And the idea behind it was that I wanted to say, you know, I'm religiously conservative and you should be, you know, if you are too, if you're a Trump supporting evangelical Christian, or if you're a Trump supporting member of my own church or whatever it is, here are some of the things I think you should believe um, because um, this is how my faith influences my politics. And so it was things like the constitution, right? And how we, you know, in the military, they take oaths to the constitution. They don't take oaths to the president and for very good reason. Um, and uh, one of them was a peaceful transfer of power, no matter what happens this November. Um, and by the way, I do believe those are things that religious conservatives should believe. And I, I would challenge people to say that we're not going to engage in political violence and some other stuff. Um, but the more that I thought about it, the more I started thinking about the times when I've actually changed my mind during my life or when I've learned something from somebody else. And it was very rarely when they were trying to push me and when they were trying to challenge me. Most often, it was actually when I was kind of an incognito anthropologist. So um, I had the fortune of going to a, a, a Catholic school when I was in uh, middle school and high school. And I went to mass and nobody really thought that you went to mass to learn anything. You went to mass because you had to. Um, but I was this 
weird religious geek that really enjoyed uh, religion generally. And so I would go and I would, I would learn a lot. And the reason was because I knew that they weren't talking to me. And so I could still listen and, and get something out of it. And so I really enjoyed mass, actually. I, I thought it was a really fun experience. Um, to be clear, I'm still not Catholic. Um, but I think that you can take something away from an experience and say, what's, what's the most I can possibly learn from all of this? And so that was kind of the, um, the goal there. And so as I thought more about this, I, I decided that perhaps a better way to frame this was instead of me saying, here's what you should do, um, to say instead, here's what I intend to do based on what my religion is teaching me. Um, and I've had for a long time, a number of people tell me that, you know, your podcast is okay, I guess, but it'd be a lot better with somebody else on there. And I agree with that. I think that that's absolutely true. So I invited a friend of mine on because we were talking about this on Marco Polo recently. Um, so two things about that. First of all, um, if you would like to come on this, this is literally just me talking. Um, and it's actually a lot more fun to talk with somebody else. Um, forces me to shut up a little bit. Um, so if you have an interest in a topic, um, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, a couple of you already have, and I've, I've kind of thought in my head when I can fit you in. Um, I think it's a lot more interesting to hear from more than one perspective. Second, um, Jason was my, so Jason is my friend that I'm going to talk to in just a second. He was my first mission companion. So he trained me. He's somebody I've looked up to for a long time, and I think you'll see why. He is just a decent guy. Um, he thinks very carefully about the things that he says. Now, part of that is because he's just a really thoughtful, introspective kind of person. Part of that is because he's active duty military. And so we tried to stay away from some of the hot button issues in particular. He And he'll, he'll talk about this. Um, he has obligations not to talk about sitting members of the government of any kind. Um, and so you may feel like we're treating things a little bit carefully. That's on purpose. I don't think that's wrong necessarily. That, But if you wonder why we're not kind of going gloves off. That's, that's why. And I think that's, that's probably for good reason. Um, the other thing that, that I would say, that, and we say this as we discuss, but I want to say it explicitly here, neither his opinions nor my opinions represent those of the military because he's active duty military. They don't represent uh, the views of the church. They don't even represent the views of this podcast because the podcast is completely different. This is just Ben, Ben talking about some ideas, some things that have been um, in my brain for a little while um, on the topic of how my faith influences my politics. I also want to add, um, he, I, I promised him that I would shut up and let him go um, at, uh, at, at a, we're, we recorded pretty early this morning. Um, and I told him that I would, I would let him go. And uh, because he had family prayer to say with his, with his uh, adorable family. Um, and as soon as I was done, I, I stopped the record button and I just said, hey, how was that? Was that okay? He said, I feel like we were just getting started. There were things we talked about that I didn't get to clarify. There were things that I, I wanted to go more in depth on. There were th like, it was, it was good, but I so wish that we could just go back and do more. So we may do more at some point, but if it feels like there are things that I wish we could keep talking about, um, that's what comments are for. Um, and to be clear, I don't think there's one right answer to how your faith should motivate your politics. Um, in particular, we avoided the, the tribalistic stuff. Like, well, my faith tells me that we should be responsible and personally responsible. So that's why I'm a conservative. Like that, that's not super helpful right now. Instead, it was, it was, we were trying to be, I think a little bit more nonpartisan. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't have partisan opinions. It's just not what, what we were doing. I would love it if people listen to this podcast and say, here's one way that my faith pushes me to be a better person in the political sphere. Um, I think that that's a really powerful thing. And by the way, I'm, I'm certain that I have some atheist friends. Um, your ethical worldview certainly counts. I don't want anybody feeling left out with this. Um, how has your, your sense of ethics or your worldview about other people 
pushed you to try and become something better um, or to, to view politics in a different light. Um, and it's almost certain that people are going to disagree, and that's fine. But I think it's a really valuable conversation. Now, I also say this, but I want to say it more explicitly here too. Um, it's literally just two guys. And if I had my druthers, I would interview people about this for the next three months, um, especially members of my own church, because I'm really interested by it. Like, how does your faith influence your politics? I think that's a really fascinating question. Um, I want to emphasize that because it's just two guys, it's a very limited view. And you shouldn't assume that every member of my church believes as I do. But the conversation is worth starting. And it's worth saying, like, how has it pushed you? And I, I, I end with this, th this thought at the end of the podcast, too. I think if, you're, if your religion isn't pushing you to become a better person in ways that are somewhat hard, you're not actually, you're, you don't have a religion, right? You have a fan club. Um, and it's not that your religion is changing you, it's that you picked your religion. And I think those two things are very different, right? The prophets always get killed in the Old Testament because they're saying really unpopular things like you need to repent, you need to be better. Um, that's kind of the job, right? That's the role. The role is to say things that people don't want to hear so that they can become better. Um, and so I try to think about things that everyone needs to hear right now, but also things that push me. Like, um, well, I guess you'll hear. Um, so with that, I will shut up. I will get out of the way. And uh, I'm going to let Jason start by introducing himself. And we'll go from there. Hi, right, morning, Ben. And to all the listeners out there. So quick introduction. My name is Jason Walker. As Ben and I will discuss, we were companions on the mission. Uh, currently, I'm serving in the uh, U.S. Air Force. I, I'm a pilot for C-130s. That's uh, cargo and transport for those not familiar with all the military designation and also top pilot training. Uh, I married four children, um, grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in uh, California, a little town called Tehachapi, about two hours north of LA. And uh, my parents joined in 1980. Uh, as we'll come through in this discussion and is relevant, uh, my father is black, my mom's white, and that uh, will obviously uh, have a different lens, I think, than some members of the church. Not better, not worse, but I think that will definitely uh, play in as some of our topics come up and, and is relevant uh, to how some things are interpreted. So um, yeah, I went to, grew up in, in California after uh, school, went to the Air Force Academy for two years, then uh, served a mission there in Houston, doing Spanish speaking, and then uh, came back graduate Air Force Academy. I've been in the Air Force for now, uh, what, 13 and a half years, roughly. And I'm currently down here in uh, Montgomery, Alabama area, I think called Air Command and Staff College. And we're learning about military operations and strategy and how it applies beyond just you know, the tactical employment of an aircraft or a smaller unit to now how we work on the kind of the national level. So and some of this kind of started because <clears throat> we just started talking about, I, I think that the exact phrase was, Oh my gosh, you get to take classes in which you talk about things like that. That sounds like absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure you're not like, totally thrilled to go to class every day. Like it's class and it's homework, you know, but it's like, that's a really interesting topic. And so we oh, were talking on Marco Polo. Yeah, it's a go good ahead. break uh, from, you know, the, the uh, grant of daily military operations. So, but uh, yeah, we're, we're reading, depending upon the week, 350 to about to 500 pages a week. That's on, on the high week. And then discuss mm -hmm. everything from war theory to leadership. Currently we're discussing the roots of, uh, of air power and how you employ airplanes in warfare uh, and some of the early ideas. So, yeah, the idea is that after this, a lot of us will go on to staff jobs that may be with the uh, the other services and be able to articulate how to use air power properly. You know, that includes aircraft, how to use 
space power, how to use cyber power, all those kind of fall in the, the purview of the uh, U.S. Air Force in various ways and how to use them for greater effect, you know, and also make sure they use ethically, which, you know, we, we have lawyers for that. Obviously, there are lawyers everywhere. <laughs> uh, but if you look at the history, of, I mean, wars can be, is a very terrible thing. And uh, in the effort to achieve objectives, sometimes things are, actions are taken, which are not moral and ethical. And, you know, how do we avoid those while still achieving an, an objective, which is good for the nation? And it's such a hard thing because it's war, right? It's, like it's not, yeah. not going to be pretty. It's not meant to be pretty. It's meant, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. And at the same time, how do uh, you know so much more about this than I do. I'm going to fumble even trying to talk about it. Like war without any norms is still worse than war with some norms, if that yeah, makes I mean, any sense. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're taking human life is, is terrible. You're just, you know, there's always destruction. And on both sides, there's always bad things that are done. What I would appreciate to the school is the fact we're able to be critical uh, that, you know, there, there is an idea that, you know, the military is all of one thought uh, because we follow orders, but we've had discussion about how the U.S. has messed up in the past. So we've taken actions which were not correct, which uh, were misguided. And, and that's important. Uh, you know, regardless of the world stage now where news is, you know, is global in a, an instant, uh, just the simple fact of right and wrong. There are times we have not acted justly as the U.S. and that's good to, to acknowledge. I think that's that spot on. So um, uh, you you neglected to mention we were companions, but you were my trainer. Yeah. Um, and so I, I still occasionally will pull one of my sons over to me and in my best elder Jason Walker voice say, mijo, because um, <laughs> that's what you used to call me when I was when I was a, a young baby missionary and you were training me. So where this came, this idea came from was um, I, I've wanted to have some other people on for a while. Every time that I have other people on, it seems like my, my show is a little bit better. Um, but the second reason was I had written a little thing that was kind of a challenge to religious conservatives and it didn't quite feel right because making a challenge to other people doesn't feel like the right way for me to articulate what I think. Um, and at the same time, I feel like it's really important to get out there what the way that my religion informs my politics. And so um, we were having a conversation the other day, we were actually talking about general conference, which is when the leaders of our church kind of give us some, you know, sermons and some talks about, about the kind of way that we should live. Um, and it struck me that this would be a much better way instead of saying, here's how you should live. It's here's how we try to live. Right. And to be clear, and I, I want to start with this, nothing that you hear today is officially from the church. It is the perspective of two guys, two dads, um, who are living, you know, very different lives, but are also trying to be the best Christians that we know how to be. Um, and I think that now is a really good time. We're right before an election. I see a lot of not super great conduct out there and not good political conversation. And that I think is at the root of this idea of civility and radical civility. Um, at the same time, I think that there's also, um, I think, I think there's an opportunity here to, to learn some things about, about what our religion informs about um and and we typically think about only moral issues right we we want to talk about hot button cultural war issues and i don't think that that's it there there was a talk um or sorry there was a um, a news article uh, a number of years ago now probably more than 10 years ago um on the mormon newsroom is what it was called at the time um and it was called the, the mormon ethic of civility and that is absolutely part of where all of the civility stuff comes from um and so talking a little bit more about that so with that, how, I, I want to reiterate, this is not the official position of the church. It's not even the position of anybody other than the two of us. And I think if you surveyed a hundred Catholics about how their faith informs their practice, you would get a hundred different opinions. And it's the same thing here, right? This is a very limited conversation. 
but I do think it's a, a worthwhile one. And so when I post it, I hope if people are listening to it, that they feel like they can say how it informs their politics. And that's fine. I do think we want to, our goal is to stay away from, well, it informs my politics to be a Democrat because, or it informs my politics to, to vote for this candidate because it's a little bit more general than that. And uh, so with that, um, why don't, why don't we kick it off with how do you feel like um, there have been some recent messages in particular um, what are the kinds of things that are most on your mind? And I figure we can just kind of go back and forth and, and talk about one upon. Sure. And also thanks for that disclaimer. I'll do the same because uh, nothing I say represents the petition of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Air Force uh, or U.S. Air University. So again, this is the, uh, the opinions of Jason Walker and of no one else. I, I I appreciate that. I'm sure that our five listeners will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, really? we're also taught that, yeah, the legal legal is important. So yes, absolutely. Well, and I appreciate it. And, and um, my disclaimer at the end, I think I, I will remember to include it, but if I don't, these are just my opinions, nobody else's. So with that, what, what is, give me, give me one that you feel like um, your faith has taught you um, that is something that you are supposed to do that makes you a little bit different in the, okay. in the realm of politics. I think uh, I was rereading President Oak's talk as preparing for this discussion. And, you know, his talk from the last conference was love your enemies. And uh, I think how that informs me and has always informed my general interaction in politics is um, how do you interact with the other side? You know, how do you approach someone who has, has a differing opinion? And it's allowed me to have, I think, a more patient and, uh, um, deliberate interaction with others who have different beliefs because I can then seek to know what they learn and then maybe, while I may not agree, at least be able to hear what they have to say and then state a point uh, that's to the, to the opposite. So, I think that's exactly right. I feel like President Oaks kind of, there were a couple, there were probably three main parts of his talk that I can remember off the top of my head, I guess, uh, three bullet points in my summary. One is, we have to be kind to everyone. Like we don't have the option to do otherwise if we're trying to be Christian. Um, second was a really thorough denunciation of racism. And I think the third one is um, it can be hard in a democracy when we don't win and we don't do violence. That's just not something that we do. Um, we wait instead and we hope for a better outcome next time. Um, but we have the obligation to eschew violence and to call it out. And I would actually extend that because I think this is even more important. One of the things that I've seen lately, um, and I think this, this, the way that I would say this is, uh, I think David French is a writer that I, I David French is a writer that I, I quite enjoy. And I think he said, um, we have an obligation to follow the ninth commandment and to not lie or bear false witness against our neighbor. And he, he lumps in a lot of things. He lumps in, you know, you're not allowed to exaggerate the evils of the other side, or to talk up your own side, or say how good you are, um, or, or point out flaws in the other side and minimize your own. Um, and so I think that that's part of this, <clears throat> this whole idea. And for me, it's, we have to live the ninth commandment, we have to be honest. Um, but in particular, it means we don't minimize the mistakes of our own side. Um, and I think that goes in particular to uh, um, violence. And so as I'm looking at, um, I don't really have a side, which is kind of nice. I'm politically pretty homeless. Um, and so it's very easy for me to just say, like, we don't need political violence right now. It's not a good thing. Um, and there's, uh, you know, we can, there's a line there. I think everyone would have to cross of like, at what point would I take up arms to defend my family? And I think that's, you know, that, that, I want to be clear, there is that line somewhere. I don't know where it is yet. It's, it's still far off. Um, 
But right now, the threat of political violence if my candidate doesn't win is really frightening to me. And I think it was very clearly said, at least for us, that that's not something that we'll engage in. Um, when I initially wrote this episode, the, the biggest thought that I had was to challenge my religious conservative friends who support Donald Trump, um, that if they believed in the Constitution, that they needed to really um, push for a peaceful transition of power. Um, and that there may be claims of unfairness. There may be claims of, uh, you know, that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. Um, but I think it's really important uh, to set out now what would be unfair and how that would how that would look. And we have institutions that would rectify that. We have the courts. We have we have traditions and norms and other things that can say, here's how we're going to figure out whether it's actually a fair election. Um, but what we don't do is engage in political violence because our candidate loses. Um, sorry, I kind of went way off course a little bit to, to talk about. I actually am remembering now when I was a missionary and I went way off course in a lesson and you said, that was good. Now, can you bring it back? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And I, I, I gave a very general, you know, be kind to the yes, but a substantive issue. But, uh, but on that note about, you know, with um, elections and so forth, one aspect that I think is important and people who've watched news is as military members, you know, we swear out to the constitution and not to any particular person. Uh, but at the same time, we have uh, certain rules called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And we're prohibited from uh, expressing direct uh, insults or criticism at sitting members of the government. And, and there's a good reason for that. You know, you don't want the people who have all the weapons to start swaying the politics or, as we've seen other countries, you know, to, to rise up. And so uh, at the same time, we're still we still walk a, a, a balancing act of being politically engaged. We're encouraged to vote as military members, uh, but also we. Remember that the president, regardless of party, is our commander in chief, and uh, we, you know, we respect the office, um, but we are obviously free to vote as we see fit as uh, members of the military. So I want, I, if I can ask, and this is a little bit of a deviation from our topic, but I have felt in the last little while, I felt a little bit like freedom of speech has been. Uh, how do I say this? I'm not advocating for anybody to limit freedom of speech in any way. I think it's, I think it's one of our core protections and it's incredibly important. Um, my thought though, is that in the name of freedom of speech, people are really nasty. And I think freedom of speech means you should be allowed to say things, but that doesn't mean that just because you can, you should. Um, I'm thinking of the meme that, that uh, it had something to do with, uh, I think it was candy corn flavored Oreos or something like that. And the meme was just be, you never stopped for a second to think whether just because you could, whether you should. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who have gone too far in the wrong direction of just constant criticism. You know, Twitter is a really nasty place. Um, it, it, I should say it can be, it can also be a phenomenal place of learning and networking. And there's a, a lot of good that can come from it. Um, it has the pendulum swung too far. Right, like, is our political discourse too negative? And and too, I mean, I'm I'm embedding my answer in the question. I'm, I'm I'm giving you here here's what I think and why you should say that I'm right. But do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, especially coming from the military, where you're not allowed to speak in public about certain things. Do you feel like that you know constrains you in in good ways or bad ways? Um, anyway. I'd say first of all, from a social perspective, I've noticed that over the last twenty years, I feel like the rhetoric just uh, like a pendulum that keeps swinging further and further to each side. Uh, maybe, maybe by example, the sine wave that just gets larger in magnitude. Because I remember, you know, uh, starting from, especially with the Iraq War, you had some very angry rhetoric, and you know, without getting too off track, the Iraq War had deserved some very serious criticism. Yeah. But over the time, from President Bush then to President Obama, it felt like 
you know, now once you had a Democrat in office, well, people on the uh, right said, okay, well, now it's our turn to be very uh, angry and, and, uh, and outspoken. And, and yeah, I've seen it get, I think, just more vociferous over the last 20 years. And it's disturbing to see to the point now where, you know, people can't even talk to each other or they unfriend somebody because they have different views. Uh, and it's one thing to have such a strong perspective, right, that it, you feel uh, some moral indignation when it's when it's violated, but it's something else when someone has a different perspective than you, and you simply can't even associate with them. Uh, that's not the, that's not what I think our founding fathers wanted. You look at some of the ideas that they had early on, and and they came from very different perspectives. They're able to associate, and and yes, they had some very colorful and and uh, even divisive arguments. And you know, it's not to say that it's never been in politics, but they're still I think a bedrock American quality is that we're able to, you know, be of different political parties and perspectives and still be neighbors. And that's what differentiates us from other places where you have a lot of civil strife. Uh, as far as the military, uh, yeah, we definitely have some limits on our free speech. You know, as we say, we uh, support democracy. We don't always live it. Uh, and I said that there's <laughs> reasons for that. Uh, it hasn't always been perfect, you know, and uh, as you've seen in, in the news, there have been times when military officials have come out and said things that, they shouldn't have or, or others hope they shouldn't have. Uh, and, uh, and even inside the ranks, you know, there's, there's a, the military does tend to be fairly conservative for various reasons and uh, some of that good, some of that bad. And so there are times where I think inside the ranks, there could be probably a little more um, discussion on that. But I think as times have changed also, I've seen that that has altered a bit. You've seen different, uh, become a little more, uh, less homogenous, excuse me. Yeah, and so different perspectives coming in the military, different laws have changed. We've become, we say we're a cross-section of society and most part we are, and in some ways we are, but uh, if you look at even just the racial breakdown of say officer versus enlisted, uh, it's, it's not proportional to society. Um, yeah. you know, particularly in, in aviation, for example, you know what America's approximately, it's like 12% um, black. And so that definitely is not the case in, in the flying world. Uh, and so that, uh, that does, I think, lend itself to different perspectives. And so uh, it's, it's uh, been an interesting discussion. And uh, there are times I think where, yeah, in, in private people have said things that probably were not appropriate in small groups, um, but uh, we you know, learn and grow and we're, we're human beings and we try and remember that at the end of the day, we're still wearing the uniform and we need to be respectful and go forward in a way that represents the uniform. So I think the biggest place and people can call out is, is like on Facebook is where military members have made things, made statements that were simply not appropriate. And, and you can get called out and you can get highlighted too by leadership. You know, so, mm. uh, you know, there's, there's so it's a real thing. So even yeah. in your personal on Twitter, on Facebook, there's still limits on what you can say. I mean, absolutely. Cause it's, it's a public forum. You know, we've seen how you know, someone can screenshot a tweet and send it around and someone says, Oh, well, army Colonel so-and-so or air force major so-and-so said this. Uh, it, it doesn't matter the fact that, you know, a major is not very high in the military structure, a military officer said it. And so it can have implications. And so yeah. there's that responsibility and people have, have gotten in trouble for saying things they shouldn't have on, on social media. Cause again, as a military, we are officially bipartisan or sorry, uh, nonpartisan. Uh, you saw that, especially with general Milley, uh, the chairman joint chief of staff, he's, he's had to walk a very fine line of, you know, this, of here's where the military stands. Yes, we support the government, but uh, we are not part of the politics. Right. Right. All right, so let's let's get back. That's fascinating, and I want to ask you a bunch more questions about that. But let's get back to um, faith and politics for a second. Um, I feel like one of the ones that I want to talk about for a second is 
Um, when I was growing up, I, I thought that calling people brother and sister was just cool and great and totally normal. Um, and then I did it in front of a friend who was not a member of my faith. And I, it was very clear that it's super weird. <laughs> it's, it's like not normal at all. Um, but in, in our church, we have the tradition of, you know, calling I'm brother Pacini and, you know, my wife is sister Pacini and that's just kind of the, the terminology. Um, I used to kind of be a little bit embarrassed about that. And, uh, the longer I've gone in life, the more that I've started to realize that, um, I actually think that quaint little habit that we have um, is actually a very powerful answer to some of the problems that we face, right? Um, in a, at least a couple of ways. The first one is that, um, and I think that there's a lot in this statement that I'm about to make that I think has been talked about in talks and sermons and, and preaching for, for many hours, but that is that everyone I ever meet is a child of God. And that means that he cares about them. That means that they have potential. That means that um, I don't get to resent them or hate them or have um, contempt for them because they are somebody who is beloved um, and that they matter and that their life is precious and that um, all of those kinds of things. And I think that's one way in which, and, and I'll be blunt, right? Um, I remember I remember before going on my mission, having a conversation with, with uh, some people about immigration and uh, my political views shifted a little bit, but my, my human views, I would say, shifted a lot. When you're working with a group of people, um, and, and I, I, I wanna be clear that I'm focusing on those human views. Um, like the people that I worked with in Houston were primarily immigrants. And what I started to learn really quickly is the political views are, are important and we should think through those. Um, but you have to be able to think about these people as children of God and your brothers and sisters. Um, another way of saying this is like your political opponents are, are not just your opponents. They're also your countrymen. Right. And more importantly, they're your brothers and sisters. Right. And, and I think that that forces well, and, and, and to be frank, even the people that we fight in a war, right. Um, if we have to are in fact our brothers and sisters and that we have to do everything we can to seek for peace and, and those kinds of things. So that, that's one that has been on my mind is this idea of identity and, and being children of God and brothers and sisters. That was a great point. Uh, you know, getting into actual policy, immigration went to where I, I'd say I softened. I think growing up in California in the 90s, there was you know, attitudes and, and um, jokes that were not kind toward, toward especially Hispanics. And the attitude changed uh, when on the mission, seeing how there were people who just want to get a good living. I remember we met folks who had worked two and three jobs in the U.S. trying to support their families. I still would like them to come legally, but I understand why they come. And also, uh, having done more research, I know our immigration system is broken. Uh, yeah. you know, and you know, if we believe that part of this life is, is not just to be tested, but also to grow, uh, there's an opportunity to allow those who want to come here to America that, despite all our flaws, is still an incredible nation where you can do a lot with your, with your life uh, if you choose to. And so... There should be ways to allow people who want to come here to work and contribute to do so. And I think our system is not built properly or has, uh, has some serious flaws in it that need to be addressed to allow more people to come. Uh, and then, you know, if we're going to make this a little more interesting, you know, from the, the partisan side, it is interesting to see this shift in, this, in discussion. Um, the right has become, in many ways, or say, let me phrase it, there are many on the right who are allowed about being anti-immigrant. That is not, yeah. uh, to say all, and it's not fair to say that everyone on the right is, uh, but, you know, the, you look at some things that happened during the Reagan administration, there was the act of amnesty, I believe, in 1986, yeah. and yeah. now you say that as a Republican, and it's almost, uh, 
someone's asking to lose your, your seat. Yeah. Uh, you know, and why is that? Yeah. Are you, are you really going to deport 12 million people? I mean, so I mentioned I fly to and thirties. I do logistics. You want to talk about moving 12 million people? Uh, that's, <laughs> that's going to be physically impossible. It's just yeah. not feasible. It's not realistic. And so there is that question. How do we address that? How do we incorporate them into our society as our brothers and sisters? How do we afford them opportunities? You know, do, do you do things like those that get in, they're allowed in that came in illegally, do never get to vote? I don't know. You know, that's something that has to be hashed out. But how do you, because at the same time, we believe in fairness, we believe in injustice. And there are those that have put their names in, in the line and gotten in and it'd be unfair to them in some ways to simply put others ahead of them and to cut them off. Uh, yeah. You know, that uh, they come to America because many are escaping unjust, corrupt countries. And it, you know, there's an element of, um, betraying that system, I think, when you do that. So there's, there's, but there's a compromise that has to be made. So yeah, yeah immigration, where I think, unfortunately, there, there's been a lot of loss opportunity. Uh, and we go and then we say the name of quote unquote law and order, but you know, is it, how much also is it simply wanting to enforce a policy that doesn't really benefit people? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, my own personal Absolutely. opinion, sometimes there are positions taken up maybe with some principle behind them, but also because it's the opposite of what yeah. the other side believes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was actually going to say, I feel like one of the problems that I have with the immigration debate is I think there are people who disagree with me and I'm, I'm, I am now pretty liberal on, I should say, I am in favor of immigration liberalization. Um, and I think there are people who have a different view than me that are principled and thoughtful and kind and compassionate. So I want to really put that out there first. I also think that there are people on the other side from me who are willing to exploit fears and are willing to otherize and to say that immigrants are undeserving or to build contempt or fear or whatever it may be for those people. And that to me is not Christian. That is not an acceptable kind of a thing. Um, I think, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with trying to take a principled view. I think, I think what you said was, was perfectly right, which is there's, there's an issue of who, you know, I've been in line this long. I've been trying to go through the right channels and now you're letting a bunch of people ahead of me. That doesn't feel fair. What do we do with votes? What do we do with welfare programs? This is not a very, a, a super simple, easy to unpack thing. At the same time, I think that there are ways in which we can be decent um, and we can try to have this conversation in a thoughtful and principled way. Um, the next one that I have, I, I have a, a about two or three more um and so jump in if you if you have one that you want to share uh, well I, we're gonna yeah, let's just go deep go 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 yeah all right so uh obviously the the church got a lot of attention for our stance so you know, with the lgbtq community uh and that has been an evolving relationship uh we do have our doctrine that families uh, will exist after this life and they're made up of a husband and wife at the same time our stance and not just ours but a lot of times in, in christianity i think has been used to justify behavior and treatment that is not Christ-like, not appropriate. You know, I, I really have been impressed by how uh, the church interacted in a lot of ways with the LGBTQ community. You know, things like um, fair housing and employment and uh, yeah. rights to go visit people in hospitals. Uh, so, yeah. in fact, a good friend of mine who's uh, he's he's a little more left. He's more left to center. Uh, we have great discussion. He's also been impressed by that because it's it's we do have our doctrine. We're not going to change that. Uh, you know, and uh, our perspectives on that, but it doesn't mean we can't be kind to them. And, and some feel that, that those two are, um, they can't, they're not mutually exclusive. Basically, they feel because we do not support gay marriage, well, clearly we hate the gays. It's not, I think it's unfair. I, I see why they say that because we feel we're limiting their opportunities for happiness as, as human beings. Um, 
I respect their position, but I, I disagree. I can have good interactions with someone uh, who is uh, who is gay, and yeah, you know, and we can be perfectly. We can be coworkers. We can be neighbors. We can be friends. Uh, we do disagree on that, and that's fine. And it's it's not something that you know uh, we fully understand in terms of how does that how does one uh, have experience same gender attraction, uh, and that's not necessarily our our role is to be kind. It's to stand for what we believe, but we can do so without being, uh, without being hateful. And I think there's been a lot of uh, missteps by people on the right. And I think unfortunately it's been done in the name of, of religion. And it, it's partially what has driven many people away from Christianity over the years is that the way we conduct ourselves, we say one thing, you know, that the person we follow teaches love one another. And then we treat those who don't live up to our, um, our beliefs and standards a different way. So it, it's, it's a hard topic, but I think it's one that we could do better at uh, as a people. I think I have, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking through kind of in the archives of my brain, I have never been in a position where I felt like my religion was telling me to be unkind to somebody because of their orientation, because of their identity. Um, I cannot think of a time when I felt like I was fearful or uncomfortable around somebody because of their identity or orientation. Um, I just, Again, and, and I, I want to be clear, for some people it can feel like, well, you say we should love them, but, and okay, I understand that there are probably still people who are not loving and kind and they need to be called out, right? And I, I, I understand that. And I'm, <clears throat> I, to be fair, I think that I would, um, I, I err more on the side of calling people out and giving consequences because I'm an assistant principal at heart. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I'm very willing to say, and I was wrong, that wasn't Christian. Right, like you don't you you don't get to use a slur and make fun of people. You don't get to call people things that are awful and then say, well, it's because of my faith. And when that happens, it needs to be called out and 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 denounced pretty pretty strongly. Um, but I think you're exactly right. I think that there's there's a sometimes an attitude of um, I, I like the way you said it. We have our doctrine. I don't see any indication that that's going to change. And part of our doctrine is that we have to love everyone as though they are children of God, because that's what we believe that they are. Um, and our doctrine also focuses a lot more, I mean, in my mind about the family and that the way that it's structured, it's a lot less about um, other things. But anyway, I, I, I appreciate that thought. Um, one of the things that I think, um, turning to, to, to one that's been on my mind lately is that there's a pretty rich I almost call it a mythology and I want to be careful because it's not mythology to us. It's scripture, right? It's, it's stories that we believe in really deeply. Um, there is a lot of discussion in the scriptures about seeking for a more just world. And uh, one of the, the, the stories that I like a lot is this idea of Zion, of the, the ideal society of, of making a world better. Now, I, I know that some of my friends are already uh, rolling their eyes because it's very utopian and that's absolutely right. Um, <laughs> But it's a society that's built on personal behavior, not on government rules, right? It's a, it's a society that's built on, I do the best I can to be as Christian as I know how. I repent for myself instead of pointing my finger at politicians and blaming them. Um, it's a society that's built on loving your neighbor and being kind and the kinds of things that we're talking about here. And so I, I do want to be clear, um, as much as we talked about political violence earlier, and I do think that's important, I also think that we have an obligation to seek for a better world and that we have an obligation to live up to the ideals that, you know, in kind of a Kantian way, if everyone in society was being like we are, what kind of world would we live in? And we have that obligation to live up to the best kind of society um, in that way. Uh, 
And I, I think that's a really important point. So anyway, just wanted to mention that really quick. I think it's an important point uh, because you know we started off talking about political rhetoric and you mentioned how sometimes this is directed to um, those on the right. And I, I'm, I'm right of center. I think I've come more toward the center over the years. But you know, well, the point I'm getting at is that we should you know, consider how we interact with others. Uh, you mentioned the scriptures. And a lot of times we look at the scriptures, uh, Bible or Book of Mormon, we see them directed toward other people. But mm -hmm. if you look at a lot of the sermons, they're actually directed toward the followers of Christ and toward the church. And some of those calls to repentance to be better citizens uh, are meant for those who claim to follow Christ because there is an example to be upheld. And, uh, and you know, this is a time, I think, when we see so much division that we have a responsibility to, to maybe ask, like, am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? You know, what is my, what does my post on Facebook communicate? What am I saying on Twitter? What am I liking? What groups am I supporting? And uh, there's a responsibility there to, to consider what impact we have because as individuals, we, especially in the modern world, we have a lot of impact, a lot of influence and uh, more than I think we, we realize. You know, you, you said something, and this is one that I, I'm going to sneak in my next one really quick because you, you hit on it so perfectly. Um, I think we have an obligation to show other people grace. Um, and I've thought a lot about the moral humility involved in that. Um, right now there's a, there's a Twitter storm raging about somebody who did something that they shouldn't have done. There's always a Twitter storm raging about that. Um, and it was interesting because I saw people making the argument of like, <clears throat> so-and-so did nothing wrong or so-and-so, you know, this is all just people joining in in a, in, in a mob rage. And I was like, yeah, those two things are very different, right? Somebody saying they didn't do anything wrong is very different from saying, maybe we should back off. Maybe they did do something wrong and also we should back off, right? Maybe they did do something wrong and they need the consequences and those consequences are going to be taken care of. And there's no good to come from a mob being whipped up into a frenzy and attacking somebody on Twitter. It's morality on the cheap. It's the easiest thing in the world to say, look at me, I'm so moral because I'm calling out this person who got embarrassed, right? Or frankly, did something wrong, okay? Um, I think in my mind, and I, I want to be clear, it needs to be, it needs to be consistent grace. It can't just be grace for your side. It can't just be grace for Republicans. It can't be just grace for people who look like you, right? Um, <clears throat> but I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I, the thought that came to me was, um, the story of the woman caught in adultery in the New Testament, we always think of that as a story of compassion and mercy for the woman involved. I wonder now if it's not actually a story of condemnation for the mob for the group of people who are surrounding her, who are trying to attack her and him saying, no, don't do that, right? And I think that there's, there's a message in that, that we have to show grace because we have to recognize that we're not the judge, but also that there is something really bad about a group of people being whipped up into a frenzy and all getting ready to cast a stone when they know that they're not perfect either. Um, so I think that that's, that's something that's been on my mind. I think definitely part of that story, you, know, you mentioned, oh, mobs getting you know, whipped into a frenzy. And again, look around the world and there are various historical cases where if you can sow enough division, uh, you can have some pretty terrible things happen. I mean, everyone knows, of course, the, you know, the Holocaust example, but even, uh, so one of my, uh, my elective course this term is African security in the 21st century. You know, and, and there have been some very terrible conflicts in Africa. Some do, of course, to colonialism and its impact, but some do to uh, you know, tribal strife and racial strife. Um, some of that also result of colonialism, but nonetheless, there are groups that if you can get people you know, divided enough uh, in any part of the world, human beings will find a way then to, to unfortunately do some things which are uh, deplorable. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. um, as I mentioned, one of our discussions you know, on, on Marco Polo, the, the conflict that killed the most Americans was the U.S. Civil War. 
you know, we are our own worst enemies and we are the ones that can cause our own destruction. So yeah, that civility is, is key. Um, and it's, it also cuts across, across lines, across racial lines. And this is a bit of a segue, but you know, in the discussion of, of, of love and of equality, I think it's also important to recognize that's not one way. And, you know, some would say, well, of course, that's, that's obvious. But I remember, uh, you know, in being minority, I think I maybe hear some other perspectives that don't get viewed. You know, I've, and I've had per, uh, discussions with friends of uh, different races, like, I oh, mean, I hate white people. It's like, whoa, okay. Um, I don't think that's very productive. Uh, and, and yes, there, you know, the history of this nation is, is very open. And, and we're learning, though, some more things that have happened uh, over the years that are, are very deplorable. Uh, but the holding on to the past and allowing that to engender feelings of hatred, I think it's kind of productive regardless of what race you are. You know, there's, there's discussion. I've heard some say that racism is only if you can affect the system to impact the, the other race. So essentially that if you're a minority you can't be racist because we lack the, the uh, political power. Uh, we won't get a lot of time in discussing that particular definition, but either way, it's still prejudice. And I think if you act out of a, uh, a sentiment of prejudice, it makes you no different than the person that you are, um, uh, to whom you have ill feelings toward. Uh, again, whether and even coming from a historical perspective, again, there's been terrible things down this country over the years that were racist that that can cause one to be quite angry. You know, uh, a lot of people in this nation could probably be a lot farther ahead if we had changed some policies over the years. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here in Alabama, so Montgomery was the the first capital of the Confederacy, but also, of course, the heart of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, and so there's, a, you know, talk about a juxtaposition of two of two uh, movements there, but it's important to to see that here in the South, I think a lot more progress could be made if things like, you know, the uh, the missteps of Reconstruction and the Jim Crow laws hadn't happened. You know, how much human potential was lost during the time of discrimination when uh, children could not get proper education or families could not get proper work. And so I think some of the uh, maybe the economic struggles here are are a result of, of that history. Uh, in the racial discussion, you know, it becomes easy for some to say, well, you know, those people are just lazy or you know, they're not smart, they're not motivated. Um, and then you know, others say, well, they just get focused on history and won't let go of the past. The past does have an impact, that is certainly true. And I've come to really appreciate that more getting to spend time here in, in the deep south. I've spent most of my career, I've been in Oklahoma and Texas, uh, most of it. So I've seen it, but here in the deep south, you really get to uh, to learn some history and to appreciate that. And you know, if we really want to move forward, it, it takes the ability to forgive those who committed the offenses and also to not have those attitudes, you know, um, if, if you're a minority, to not have that attitude to, to, quote, to hate white people uh, because it doesn't make anything better. Um, and it, now knowing the history also can help educate people, you know, that, hey, there's been some bad things done, but also what are some of the things that, uh, folks don't recognize they're racist. And I think that's part of the issue that folks who don't see it or experience a lot, you know, going back to, to the church, I think people say, oh, there's not a lot of racism. Well, it's, it's simply because they don't personally experience it. It's not because that person's ignorant or that they're denying it. They just, they don't see it as much. And so I think part of the responsibility is pointing out, hey, this is how it occurs is when it occurs. And I think when it's pointed out, more, uh, most people are gonna say, yeah, you know what, that is wrong. And it simply mm -hmm. takes that effort of pointing out where it occurs to then move forward. We're more similar than we think. And I don't mean, you know, I mean, humans in general, we, we tend to yeah. be more alike than we, uh, we'd like to paint ourselves. 
And when we can come together and have a discussion, we may be a little bit, you know, on different sides of an issue, but a lot of times we're able to, I think, come to a conclusion on the same side. Well, I think I hear, I think I hear your timer going off because you have family prayer to get to <laughs> for the morning with your kids before they go to school. And I also think the idea of um, personal repentance and unity and, uh, and, the, the way that I'm, I'm going to stop before I butcher something beautiful that you said and l let it end on a good note. Um, but thank you for joining me today. This has been really good. Um, let me just end with, with this one thought. I don't think that there is one way that our religion should motivate people to vote. I don't think that there's one way that it should motivate people to act. But I do think that if you have a religion that doesn't inform the way that you act in, in ways that can challenge you a little bit, then your religion isn't worth very much. Um, if your religion only tells you things that you already believed, then it's not changing you into a better person. It's just reaffirming who you always were to begin with. Um, and so we may, these are things that have been on my mind and I think that they're, I hope that they're helpful, but I, I want to be clear. These are aspirational. I am not perfect on Facebook. I am not perfect when I argue with people. I'm not perfect at, um, being kind or, or, or anything else, but these are aspirations that I have. And I think they're the right ones. So with that, thank you so much, like I said, for coming. Um, and uh, let's see if I can remember it without looking. Radical Civility is written, produced, and edited by Benjamin Ficini, and the views expressed are only the views of myself, not my faith, not my family, not my employer, or even myself when I am older and wiser. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ben.